Hello and welcome back to Mandak. I am your host for today's episode, Hao Mire. Today we have joining us Suba Nurkuli and Abdurrahman Jama. This episode will be focusing on Somalis, digital engagement, and our use of social media. But we'll get to that conversation a little bit later. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Mandak is a podcast by a collective of young Somali demics from diverse fields who write about the Somali territories and the Somali diaspora. Our perspectives are informed, critical, and unapologetically Somali. Our podcast features members of our collective, along with a wide variety of guests that speak on issues relating to Somalis across the globe. We usually start with our Adan Studies Roundup. What is Adan Studies? It's a hashtag that snowballed into a global movement. In March 2015, it was launched as a way for Somalis to speak to larger questions of power, authority, and knowledge production about the Somali territories and how Somalis continue to be marginalized in both academic and policy studies that concern them and the Horn of Africa more broadly. Mandek does a roundup of our favorite Adan Studies moments during each of our podcast episodes, and we feature the winners on our Hall of Fame, or sometimes, as we like to share, our Hall of Shame. This week for Adan Studies, We'll be featuring the London School of Economics and Political Science, who in June 2020 launched a public event series called COVID-19, The Policy Response. They pulled together a panel that was titled Financial Strains, Health Pressures, Syria, Somalia, and the COVID-19 Impact. While the panel was meant to bring together Syrians and Somalis to look at the health and economic challenges and impacts of COVID-19, of course, as per the usual, there was not a single Somali as part of that panel speaking to their specific experience. So congratulations, LSE. You've been inducted into the Adan Studies Hall of Shame. And I was a little bit curious for those of you joining us today, if you had had a chance to see um, that panel that was put up and what your thoughts were. I, I guess m- me personally, I wasn't surprised and many of us weren't, but just the the, the audacity that people wouldn't consider the cult, uh, any cultural input being placed in, in a conversation like that. I think, um, so I, yeah, I, I saw, I saw the same, the exact same thing um, as well. And it kind of, it reminded me very much of, um, I, I don't know if you guys saw a couple of years ago, there was that stuff about um, the EU and sort of a bunch of NGOs hiring for jobs in Somalia, where in the job description they'd written that they wanted um, they wanted people who weren't Somali. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> Essentially, it was just like it it was it was just insane because I think there was this sort of the EU who you know it wasn't it wasn't like a like a tiny charity with like a dodgy board. It was literally like the EU and like some of the biggest funders to the Somali state and people who are like on the ground every day and it was just like they didn't want Somalis and and I think there is there is definitely I think within that this idea that hey you know like this person knows about Somali and maybe we don't need a Somali but I also think that some of these um some of these people are driven by or kind of they're coming from a place where they're like a bit suspicious of Somalis right that 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 Somalis are incapable of of being objective or like professional or or whatever now i don't think that the lse sort of panel said this per se but like it, i always find i always find it like why not <laughs> you know like what like what what what's stopping you from getting someone it couldn't be that hard I completely agree, Abdurrahman. And I think the interesting part is this is what um, a, a panel, uh, you know, a journal without any Somali representation is what launched Adan Studies in the first place. So it's, uh, it comes full circle. The very thing that's propelled people to start thinking about knowledge production more broadly is exactly what LSE is um, continuing to perpetuate. So, I mean, they're featured, they're a part of our hall of shame. Let's hope that moving forward, they do, uh, they do better. Um, for those of you still listening in, uh, if you have contributions to our Adan Studies Roundup, please feel free to tag us at at underscore Mandak. You can use the hashtag Adan Studies or you can email us at mandakcollective at gmail.com. We are, as always, here for you. 
We're going to move on now to Somali excellence. Every episode, we ask our guests to celebrate Somali excellence. This is not limited to individuals. It's about celebrating the achievements of Somalis around the globe in organizations, on continents, and in the diaspora. Who have you chosen to celebrate? Subin, maybe we can start with you. I would love to uh, shout out Abira Hussein in the UK uh, for her Nomad uh, project. I the best way to explain it, it's um, a digital archive project taking Somali artifacts and making them available through virtual reality for the community to view. She kind of did this all on her own. Incredible. I completely agree. Uh, a few years ago, I got to go to a conference where I watched so a digital Somali archive come to life. She's she's incredible. Thank you so much for shouting her out, Subin. So Abira Hussein. Yeah, so I think... Um... So I think for me, it was uh, her, I'm not sure what her name is, uh, Vote for Henny. I assume her name is Henny. Um, she recently started, um, she is a recently qualified medical doctor who has essentially started a YouTube channel discussing racism within um, healthcare, but also discussing skincare from the perspective of like black uh, women and has acquired about 40,000 subscribers in the space of a month. And I was just like blown away by that because it just means that there's such a big, big sort of demand for this information. Um, and, and the fact that this information isn't readily available is probably a symptom of the kind of society that we live in. Um, but yeah, she, she sort of put out a number of videos most of it I didn't understand because I feel like I'm not sciencey enough, but there's quite a lot of buzz about it. And I'm, I'm quite excited about the fact that like a Somali person is like doing something amazing like this. Social media and digital connection has a special place in the hearts of those who are a part of Mandat. Many of you might remember that Sophia originally started the hashtag Adan Studies and so many other people who have been involved with Mandat and not involved with Mandat over, over time have been brought together because of the response and the connection to a really critical issue at the heart of knowledge production around Somalis. Somalis around the globe uh, also use social media to stay in, in touch with one another, to engage with one another, and to stay connected despite being very far apart. We've got a number of really important guests with us today, um, both of whom work within this field, work or live within this field of digital engagement. And so we had a couple of questions as a way to start off the discussion through Mandat. Subin, in particular, your academic work focuses on digital rhetoric and social media. You describe yourself as a Black rhetorician uh, with a PhD dissertation that focuses on Somali women in the diaspora. I guess for those of us listening in, for me as well, what is rhetoric and what is its relationship to Somalis and social media? Okay, um, so rhetoric is, I mean, it sounds fancy and ridiculous and academic, but it's really just um, understanding how people come to know what they do about the world around them. Um, and so for my PhD, I spent four years working to understand how it is that I have come to know what it means to be Somali as a member of the diaspora. So I left Somalia when I was eight. Um, we're not going to talk about how old I am now. <laughs> but I attribute much of that knowledge coming from uh, the women in, in my community, specifically my mom and aunties and grandmas, etc. So, yeah, my relationship to uh, rhetoric is rooted in my own cultural identity. Abdurrahman, uh, you founded a digital platform called JAMA with a mission to strengthen diaspora communities and make it easier for people to preserve their culture and their identity. What does it mean for you to pull something like this together? I know I did a Q&A on it. I've seen other Somali folks do Q&As on it. Um, I've watched it kind of from afar and I've been so interested to see how people are engaging with this question answer um, system, particularly through places like Twitter. Um, yeah, so I, initially the idea wasn't mine, um, my co it was my co-founder's idea, and he sort of approached me a couple of years ago when I was, <clears throat> um, I guess, like, working as a developer, and he was like, hey, I've, I've got this idea, I'm not really sure what it is, 
let's talk about it. And it just made sense to me um, from the first moment. And I think that's part of the reason was, you know, like a, a bit like Suba and I came here when I was, uh, came to the UK when I was 11. Um, so I kind of had a memory of back home, but also my co-founder is from a Chechen background. Um, and we both sort of ended up uh, meeting um, at Oxford. And what was really interesting was like how we both use the internet to sort of keep up with um, our kind of like respective cultures. Um, and for me, it was like Facebook groups, right? And then, and then, and then before Facebook groups, it was probably like, I must've been really young, like Somalinet or those kind of like chat rooms where everyone was just speaking, um, was just speaking Somali and I didn't understand quite a lot of it, but, but it was just like, I feel like at different stages from Facebook groups to like Tumblr to sort of Twitter, um, I was sort of gravitating towards um, Somalis because I didn't feel like I kind of particularly fitted well anywhere else. Um, but but I think the idea with, 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 with Jammer was to kind of say, okay, well, all that kind of fitting in, all of that stuff is like really important, but also can we like facilitate a type of knowledge sharing that at the moment seems to be quite ephemeral on the internet, right? Like, you know, people tweet stuff, like it's really interesting, but it kind of just goes into, it goes out there and then it kind of just disappears after a while. Um, and so with, with like JAMA, I guess what we're trying to do is like, well, can we provide like context specific answers to questions that people have about their culture, about how to get into universities, how to like get ahead in life, I, I guess like what you sort of might define as like cultural capital. And then, and then not only that, but like, can we allow people to like curate that stuff so that like, it's got some longe longevity. Um, and it's been, I've been working on it full time for the last like maybe 13, 14 months. And it's been like an incredible journey uh, because we started out not knowing what the product is. And, and as we like talk to more people, as more people do Q and A's, we start to get a better idea of what, what people are actually looking for. You know, it's really interesting because your last name is Jama, I made the assumption this was a, a brainchild that you had, uh, but it's really interesting to also see how communities that are disconnected from whatever we would call kind of ancestral home territories or lands um, are using the digital space to stay in touch and to also do some of this cultural capital building, which is we share something, can we help each other through these really complicated ways of navigating these new, these new places, um, which is I think really a really lovely way to stay connected and to support one another through. I'm curious uh, from the both of you, what do you think or imagine um, is the value of what you're doing, particularly within the Somali community? I can jump on. Um, I think in terms of social media use, if you think about um, how widespread the diaspora is, we're, we're literally all over the world. Um, and so you have young Somalis, um, elder Somalis across the world um, in varying community sizes. Um, not everyone has the ability to be in a diaspora setting that allows for cultural growth and production and, um, and like uh, connections to elders or other community members to engage with socially. So for example, I grew up in Canberra, Australia with a tiny Somali population. I think we even knew every, everyone from Somalia. Um, and not that there wasn't a rootedness to that culture, but my parents intentionally made the choice to move us to Melbourne um, so we could be around um, other Somalis. But I think what social media does is allows and enables for us to have conversations across the globe with Danish Somalis, uh, you know, American Somalis, Canadian Somalis, who are bringing with them that, that um, you know, Western background, the, the, where, where they're growing up and what they're doing, and then also connecting ideas of cultural heritage and um, yeah, keeping, trying to keep the culture alive. Um, but it's interesting to see how that's developing. So I'm just really curious to see in 10, 20, 30 years, um, what happens to Somali culture in the diaspora. Um, and I think, being where I am in, in this current moment, 
the, the, the social media is really where a lot of that preservation is happening through connection um, across, across the globe. Yeah, I think I, yeah, hundred percent agree. I think, I think for me, it's been about, um, I think for me, it's been about seeing, so I, I, I love memes. I think, I think, I think memes are incredible. Um, and, and me too, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm genuinely like fascinated because, because what sort of come out of like Somali Twitter over the past, like 10 years has just been, um, memes and like expressions and like ways of, 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 of saying things that really touch a kind of an anxiety or, or a kind of a thing that we, you know, that keeps us up at night. Right. So like the, the I just find it hilarious that the whole like Hoya Matala idea originated from Twitter sort of circa 2015, 2014, where, you know, a lot of Somalis were coming to um, terms with the fact that their Somali wasn't very good. And it was just like, it was about, describing a type of person of which I was one um and and so so I think I think out of the jokes out of the sort of the memes um I think we are having like really important discussions that you know it's not always serious but but there is seriousness in a lot of uh the jokes that that are being shared on the internet um so I think for me that's that's been like fascinating to see like the the kind of the the evolution from you know let's share old pictures of Mogadishu from the 70s to let's kind of like let's kind of forget about that romanticization and let's kind of like talk about culture and and everyday stuff um so yeah that's that's been fascinating for me Abdurrahman to, to chime in I think even with the use of TikTok I think Another thing, no, no lie, as small as our community is across the globe, we're actually really good at social media. And, we, you know, in terms of that relevance uh, to the cultural that I think, especially in the diaspora, you, you'll see TikToks talking about, uh, you know, Hoyo, like the, I, there was this thread of videos of this uh, young Somali man who like walks into the room with, you know, fake tattoos drawn on his face. And he's like, I joined a gang, you know, and then <laughs> Hoyo's response um, in retaliation to that, but us all being really familiar with our mums having that same response. Um, so yeah, we, we, are dealing with that cultural shift of that Western cultural shift, uh, with younger, the younger generation, but also being very familiar and aware of, uh, the realities of what it means to grow up in a Somali household. And it's funny, no matter what age you are, I mean, there are moments where I pull out memes and I'll show them to elders in our community. I'll show them to my dad and he'll be like, I get it. Like, it's funny for him too, right? Um, and I, I wanted to take a moment to say, you know, um, Abdurrahman, while you were talking about the past, I remember PAL talk as being such a central early space for older Somalis who had just left um, any kind of proximity to the Somali territories, right? Even if they were in a refugee camp close by to Somalia um, or, or Somaliland or Djibouti or wherever, um, they would, I remember, you know, old headphones and people spending hours just talking to each other on pal talk, just responding to one another on messages, writing, you know, I'd be asked to come over and type faster um, to write a message to somebody else. And I see WhatsApp as a space where that's really been taken back up again with things like voice notes, um, maybe because it's more private, you can control who's in a group, who's not in a group. Um, but I, I really see that old, that trajectory of, you know, pal talk moving into these WhatsApp spaces and then this younger generation claiming spaces like TikTok and Instagram and Twitter as the, as the place to do it. And I have to say memes are also my favorite part of all of this and my favorite long-standing forever joke is um when someone makes a, a says something about you know dream on life is going to get beautiful and then they say um you know Adanka ilali. still my favorite joke i don't know why um. <laughs> those are pretty good um I, I was literally just thinking uh, about pal talk actually um just today because i was on the phone to my brother who um, my brother came to the UK um, a bit later uh, than the rest of us. So he must have come to the UK around 2007-ish, 2008, I guess. Um, and he used to use PalTalk religiously, right? 
um, and the computer was in my room. So he would just constantly be in my room and, and he would like, you know, this is a man who literally arrived from Bura, right? Like, so he, like, he had a very specific way of doing things. And for him, like, there were like little tricks and games that you could do, like things like stealing the mic, you know, um, to sort of, to get your point in because not everyone could speak at the same time, right? So you'd have to put your hand up. I think there was a system where you'd have to put your hand up and like, um, and wait for your turn to speak. Um, and he would, and he figured out that, you know, if he presses at a specific time, then he could jump the queue essentially. Um, but, but all the people that he was speaking to were like complete strangers, right? It was like, he didn't know any of them, but it was really important for him at that moment in time when he was new to the country, he didn't have any friends, all the, the all the people that he knew were like, um, he was in his twenties, all the people that he knew were like his family members. And it was just like this space where he could just like jump on and like talk to people his age. Um, and I think like it's, yeah, that's, that's like a kind of a really fascinating thing for me that like, you know, the social graph is different for Twitter and like pal talk than it is to WhatsApp because WhatsApp, you have to know people, right? You have to like have a connection with them. Whereas like on Twitter, it's like where the Somalis at? And then you just find them and then you like follow them. And then, and then before you know it, you're kind of like talking to complete strangers and you found this sort of community, um, which I think is, yeah, is really beautiful. But, but Twitter for me, like reminds me very much on PowerTalk. Yeah, I think PowerTalk, just considering WhatsApp, I also want to give a shout out to the multi-generational use of social media. Like my dad can use WhatsApp, Twitter. He has like seven Facebooks. <laughs> like in relation <laughs> in relation to him being 70 and being able to navigate digital spaces like a 23 year old g like this is something that i mean yeah and i talked to him he's in Mogadishu right now we talk on whatsapp every day i think when digital spaces for diaspora communities especially displaced ones become our sense of communication and community right and at the same time, I have Edas and Habadir sending me the most random, like, Arabi gifts and, and memes. And that I, I have no idea what the video even says or a dua or whatever. But there, there's an assumption about them. I, I would presume in the West, no one has any idea that that generation, that 50 to 70-year-old Somalis are, like, kicking it online. Oh, my God. Snapchat. Oh my yes. God, just recently discovered, oh my God. <laughs> oh, because it's private. You can send it to one specific person. You can agree to who comes in. Like this mix of, you know, how public you want to be, how private you want to be suddenly is up for grabs, right? You can choose a platform that works with what it is that you want to put out there, which is, which is the beautiful portion of this. And, you know, we we're chatting about this. I, I love where the conversation is going. And it's really clear that both of you have such vibrant ways of really connecting Somali culture um, to digital engagement, whatever that might look like. Um, and I guess if we can work to expand the conversation a little bit more, I'm wondering what are the ways that Somalis have used social media to share information, to organize, in some cases to fundraise? What are all the unique examples that you've heard about or seen um, in the ways that they're maybe using digital engagement differently than other communities? Um, I can speak up real quick. Um, uh, I just remember an, um, a hashtag campaign that probably popped up three, I want to say three or four years ago, um, titled Nemusha Hagadhan, um, basically Don't Buy Death. And it was literally a conversation between the diaspora and those back home saying, honestly, you, you, it's, not worth, it's not worth crossing, you know, doing all these things to try and get into the West because there's this presumed notion that life is better in the West when really there's a lot of struggle and conflict and racism. And um, it was essentially a really important conversation that had to be had to really um, not, uh, um, not demystify, but kind of talk about this uh, pre presentation of this Western life and in this improvement of, of, of life, which isn't untrue, but at the same time comes with its own baggage. Um, so it was just really nice to have a hashtag 
and to see that conversation between the diaspora and Somalis at home and the arguments that came up on both on both sides. So that's just one I'm I can hark and like talk talk about real quick. But um, I enjoyed listening to that conversation. Um, I so I um, I find the whole I mean part part of the research sort of the product research what we were doing uh, for kind of JAMA. What was really interesting was. Um, was essentially like trying to think of the ways like sort of offline patterns of behavior that people were engaging in, in like knowledge sharing or whatever, and then seeing, you know, could we bring it online or whatnot? Um, and what's really interesting is like when researching it, like we found that like, and like talking to people, we found that actually a lot of the infrastructure in Somalia gets funded in these like, on an ad hoc basis through like group like whatsapp groups and and like these random places where it's just like oh you know me and these like 15 people in this whatsapp group are like contributing towards like the bit of road that goes from this place to this place and we've raised x amount of thousands of pounds so far um which to me is just like it's insane that you can be on whatsapp with like people who you kind of know and people who are kind of um and, and you can sort of contribute towards that building literal infrastructure. It reminds me a bit of what you were speaking to around impetus and creating JAMA, right? Like creating um, capital, you know, cultural capital and social capital. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but, I, but I do think that like, I think, I think with JAMA, like we were sort of like naive, right? Because we were like, you know, both of us are, um, you know, culturally quite British and, and, you know, we've, we've, you know, we're both like been to Oxford and, 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 and whatnot. And we're kind of like straddling both cultures. And, and we were thinking, you know, the kind of cultural capital and the kind of knowledge that, that we want to have on our platform, you know, should be how to get into universities and how to, you know, help get help with your passport application or whatever it is. Right. So much of the, the, the kind of the, what we thought was cultural capital and so much of what we thought was like, was, help was like help that would be i guess would allow you to do things better in the west right um because that was our focus right where kind of i don't know maybe like because we grew up here and whatnot we were just like very much thinking of like how do you how do you help people get ahead in britain um but you've got all these like all these like informal communities like on whatsapp which i guess are like closed to outsiders that are entirely focused on like making back home better um, and, 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 and I think for, for, for people like us, like, you know, we might not have access to it, but, but it's there and it's like such a significant force, um, that I'd love to learn more about. Yeah. And I think it, it also speaks to the fact that social media is being used. I think this is what you're speaking to, Abdurrahman. It's being ver used very differently by diaspora communities. So those outside of whatever they would call kind of the, the homeland or the ancestral home and those within a particular region that are still in what we would call home. So somewhere in the Somali territories. Uh, but I'm also really curious in how uh, social media is happening in the Somali territories. Uh, there are a number of various YouTubers and Instagrammers that I follow that have pure jokes all day long in Somali. And I'm still cackling because it reminds me, like the, the cultural context is so similar still to my own home when I was growing up, to my cousins, to my family members, like it still resonates so deeply. Um, and I wonder how much connection there is uh, back and forth, I guess, between the diaspora, between those in the territories, or if that's really held by the folks who speak the language, have some kind of relationship, maybe came here when they were a little bit older. I think, again, it's knowing the language is really a benefit or a stepping into and an understanding of a lot of those uh, memes and, and, and that come out of Somalia. But at the same time, without, I think, like the at the core, uh, in terms of Somali Nimo, there are people I, I feel who might not even know the language, and still are very much connected to the cultural, the, the resemblance of Somaliness in their household, um, the way they were raised, how, how their family spoke to one another. Those things um, aren't rooted in, they're not fully rooted in language, they're rooted in the cultural practices, right? So then you end up growing up in a Somali home where maybe you've lost the language, but it doesn't mean you can't, res you can't um, have resonance, uh, 
not resonate, excuse me, can't talk, um, with what's happening um, at, on a TikTok from Somalia. Even if you can't understand it, you could probably watch it and have some, some understanding of what's happening because you have that cultural, you have that cultural knowledge. I think um, the one, the one, I guess, like the one um, area or like segment of social media that I think might be difficult for uh, people like myself, like basically us, um, I think is like the humor built on like the polit on top of the political system. Like I feel like there's a lot of like sort of nascent like YouTube channels who are specifically um, target like political humor, right? Like about the system, who's in, who's out, what's happening at the federal level. Um, I feel like that's like a kind of a, like a booming industry of like comedians who make regular videos mocking politicians. And I feel like for a lot of us who don't know the context, I think it's a bit difficult to get sometimes. Uh, like my mom, my mom's life has sort of changed after she got the the YouTube app. And, and she's just now constantly just like dying at like these, some of these political commentaries who, who are a bit like, uh, you know, like John Stewart, like what's that sort of, um, what do you call it? Like Saturday? Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that kind of like political, like, yeah. Cohen, like Cohen, what's it, what's it, Cohen? Um, Conan, Conan, Conan O'Brien. These are mostly American shows, so I'm also a little bit, uh, maybe not quite familiar, but. No, no, yeah. I'm thinking of the, the, the guy who does political stuff, Co. Stephen Colbert. Colbert, that's yeah. the one. Colbert, like, I feel like, you know, these guys are given us uh, like Stephen Colbert. And it's just like entirely wasted on the likes of me, right? Um, so I do think that there is like the comedy that's on YouTube that's like built on top of like cultural norms and stuff. I think we can access that stuff. But the stuff that's like based on like the everyday political development that we're not necessarily kind of in tune with, then then that might be sort of wasted on us. Honestly, that would take a whole degree. <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of understanding i mean our politics aren't simple either i mean our history is not not simple but yeah i do envy i do envy the gen that completely gets it i i'm reminded of um do you remember amin amir who uh, was a somali cartoonist came to canada maybe in 2000 but used to put these like funny little cartoon um uh, what are they called they're not called cartoons sketches but you know like a panel a little cartoon comic strips together that were yep. depicting what was happening in in some in the Somali territories at the time and I, I would always I I'm with you on that I'd read them and I'd know what they were saying but the context the political context was beyond me I could never quite understand why why it was so funny although it looked entertaining yeah no it is exactly the same thing I guess just like just much more sort of complex stuff and it's like it's videos so it's even more difficult <laughs> Gotta get some English subtitles on there for even, some of us. I feel like even then it would be lost because it's like, oh, well, who are they specifically like mocking in this current moment? Oh, it's the minister of ed education and he did something stupid and we have no idea. You know, like it's probably, yeah, way smarter than, I mean, yeah, where if you understand the political context, then you're fine. But a lost art on us, possibly. I'm sure there are young Somalis out there though that, follow it and or have been following it and i think what's interesting is still the orientation back to the, the territories right um this desire to want to know what's happening there and it's so interesting because so many of us i'm sure um there, there's things happening in america in canada and you know the united states of america because we we share a border so there's always interesting information being filtered kind of back and forth that's so particular to the somali experience like we talk about every now and then i shout out rare minnesota because i'm like i don't know what's happening in minnesota but oh my gosh the political organizing there is on another level uh, and you know there's there's a context and a relevance that make sense for me that might make sense might not make sense for somebody who's in um, the smaller territories who might be like Minnesota is that even in Canada right they they might think this is this is out to lunch this has nothing to do with what it means to be Somali but it does as well if there's another thing Somalis are good at it's politics we just we just need more of us out there but I, I keep saying I'm like what what was the the mayor of Sheffield Majid Majid Oh my uh, God, I went to school with him. You did? 
I did. Yeah, Look, yeah. honestly. Yeah, he, he was like, that was really exciting. Again, it's huge I, to be, you know, a black British and Somali. I'm, I'm like, that's a, that's celebrated. There's that young woman who won, became a city council member in Maine. And if you know anything about Maine, it's uh, much more politically conservative. There's, I mean, there's pockets, but I'm sure where she was, it was a big deal. So it's, I think it's happening even in the diaspora. We're like, oh, look, we're, we're seeing that in, an increase in political uh, interactions, even in the West. Um, I don't know, though, like how you guys, because I'd be quite keen to sort of hear your thoughts on this, is that I feel like, I feel like kind of in the early, two, I mean, you know, in the, in the sort of 2000s, 2010s, like, you know, quite a lot of how so much of how we consume social media was about this sort of like, you know, Somalia as like the promised land, right? It's sort of like, you know, the Zion, right? Like this sort of imaginary place that's over there that we'd heard about and we'd sort of, you know, we one day, you know, dream of going to and whatnot. And in recent years, though, it seems that that particular discourse has been, has has almost like not necessarily gone away, but it but it's changed, right? And and it's much more about like political representation in the West and about like how do we make the West more comfortable for us and 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 these type of conversations, right? Um, whereas I think before it was very much like what our parents thought, which is that the reason why our parents were so invested in the news about Somalia, listening to BBC Somalia every day, was because this is temporary, right? We want to go over there. Like that's, that's the ultimate aim. That's why we need to keep an eye on the political situation over there. Whereas now it's just like, it's much more about how do we make things last here? Do you guys get that sense? Well, my dad's in Hamar now. He's in Mogadishu. Um, and I think there's still a sense of hopefulness. Like my parents were legit considering a move back to Somalia even now. So I think there's that, that nostalgia or that letting go um, probably hasn't completely happened in, our, um, in that generation. But I think our generation um, and then the ones that been underneath us are, are aware. Like I think we're aware of the realities of the current state of Somalia and the, the current state of the, of the Western, of the West, the Western world and kind of the rhetoric around immigration and uh, what's happening with anti-blackness. Um, there's just, we can't sit around anymore and presume that we're going to go back three years from now. Let's just, even if it's 10 years, if it's, even if it's never, we, we I think there's um, a, an understanding to a point that we can we can work to improve where we're at. So yes, I agree that there is a like a an understanding of not being able to kind of sit around and presume that we're just visiting anymore. You know, it's really interesting. I actually see it show up in these digital spaces more than anything else. I think 10 years ago there was a sense like, people didn't really come up against or modify or change kind of Somali cultural frameworks if that makes sense. I feel like people were always trying to represent everything in, in the way that it might be presented back home. And then now I see meme, memes of, you know, gang signs and a Somali flag. And I'm like, um, we're definitely repurposing what this means. <laughs> right? And it, you see it. It's almost, you know, it's, it's a bit of playfulness and humor um, at, a, at a cultural identity that, is still like people are still holding it, but they don't see it as it's not a static anymore. I think this idea of going back isn't as fixed. It's I might go, I might learn something, but ultimately this new place is home. So I have this, I have more flexibility to poke some fun, make make some jokes at, um, you know, change what people might think. Is there an appropriate way to think of what what and who Somalis are? Like I find this like pilgrimage, people will go back wherever they feel like they can go back to in the Somali territories has happened more and more often. And as they go back and come back to the places where they're living and learning, have families, have school, have other commitments, they're, um, they understand, you know, the Somali territories a little bit differently, but it's not the place that they're going back to, which is so different than that generation, right? That was constantly like, one day we will go back home. I remember growing up with that was very firm, right? One day we will go back home. Um, and I believed it to a certain extent. And then at some point I was like, 
likely this is home. Yeah, in all sincerity, I my uh, last trip to Somalia, I was in um, Garoe in 2015. Me and Howell met in Tanzania after that. But I am, again, a product of the diaspora. I, I envision, I, I'm, you know, walking around. I, I had a great time. It was nice to be around Somalis. It's, I mean, in terms of, it's like that nostalgia, that community, being able to walk around, speak in your own, your mother tongue, being home, you know, was wonderful. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm used to a particular way of life now, as, as ridiculous as that sounds. And there's a lot that was not available to me in Garoe. You know, I can, I'd eventually be like, all right, enough camel cappuccinos, camel milk cappuccinos. I, I need a, you know, movie theater, although <laughs> COVID or what movie theater, everything, <laughs> but even just, even just good in, you know, in, and it's improving. Like Hamar is in terms of connectivity is very connected. Like, I could send, you know, you can probably, you could access, I'm sure, a lot of streamable um, shows and stuff there. But being a product of the diaspora, there are elements of life that I would miss uh, that do not exist currently in Somalia. And, you know, I always say it's not a bad thing to get accustomed to the climate that you're raised in. We didn't make choices, not all of us made choices about where we were going and how we would get there. And once we arrived to a place and learned to build a life and to put down roots, uh, this, the, the cost of always waiting stops you from doing everything else, right? And I think, Subin, this is what you're speaking to. In, in the midst of waiting, um, we also aren't making demands around what is, ethically, what is ethical and what is justice-oriented for our communities. And so at some point, um, we have to resolve whatever it means to wait to go back somewhere and think about what our day-to-day -day looks like in whatever countries or wherever we might be. Absolutely. And I think also uh, the Somalia we, that existed in the, in the hearts and minds of our parents isn't the Somalia of today. You know, the sort of 70s, 80s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s um, are, are, not the, are not in comparison with the Somalia of today. Um, and so life was different and what they miss is probably not even available to them. Um, but at the same time, um, I think there's also conversations that are happening in the diaspora and on the home front that are important. I mean, even just recently that bill that came out, um, about child marriage in Somalia and it having to be stopped. And there are, I mean, the Hishod culture that the, just having conversations about the mis you know, misogyny in our community and the, its patriarchal roots are important conversations that are happening in the diaspora that are also influencing what's happening back in Somalia. I think, um, yeah, you know, just sort of um, also just thinking about like student movements and you know, thinking about the, the the types of organizing that I've seen, like, you know, Somali students involved in um, over the kind of like last sort of 10, 12 years has, has also like shifted, right? I remember um, there were a couple of like uh, sort of umbrella bodies uh, that connected uh, like Somali students, uh, kind of like 2009, 2010, they were very much focused on back home, right? That was, that was kind of like, you know, those, it was about, it was about like, you know, how do we, you know, we've been lucky, we've come here, we've been educated, how do we go back and sort of make things better for people? And there was that kind of like savior flavor to it. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you, there was definitely like, kind of, we know things they don't, locals don't, you know? Um, but, but I think like in recent years, uh, I've seen like other student organizations pop up who have just said, okay, we're privileged, we're gonna collect money and we're gonna give it to like, partners on the ground and they're going to do with it as they please and I do see that kind of like those conversations happen but but I'm also like starting to see almost like a divergence I don't I don't know if it's just like an anxiety that I have or if if it if if it's like it's no longer when you know if we're kind of like if the diaspora is kind of continue is becoming more like more and more diaspora and like the homeland or the metropole is becoming more and more like the metropole. I'm not sure, but but that's a sense, that's a feeling that I get. Abdurrahman, I don't think you're you're wrong there. Um, and I think again, it's a, we're culturally different in terms of what we're being influenced by. 
Um, I don't think it's a complete divergence, but there's probably also a conversation to be had about how people, Somalis back home feel about the diaspora, um, in, especially in, with the return, you know, a lot of return diaspora communities, people who've grown up who then go back to Somalia to work or live um, and are more likely to take on jobs that could have been someone's that, I don't know, there's a lot of privilege um, connected to our upbringing and what opportunities we have when we, when, when we go back to Somalia. Um, I, I want to shift us for a quick second. And um, I know we spent, we've, we've actually moved. We talk about digital engagement as a community space. We've talked about it as a rehoming, as an orientation to a homeland. We've talked about the humor and the jokes and the hilarity that comes with people being able to make cultural references for a particular, a group that understands and knows what they're speaking to with very little explanation. And I was curious about the other side of the positive around digital engagement, particularly for Somali communities. Um, we've seen, I've seen, I'm curious what you've also seen, we've seen quite a bit of trolling happening, particularly for, against Somali folks who are in quite prominent positions, particularly Somali women, um, that has been moved and kind of mobilized through these digital spaces. And I'm curious how much of that we, how much of that you've seen, how much of that we can expect to increase and why? Why is that such a direct, response to the ways in which Somali people might be engaging with one another. Okay, so I think for me, I feel like um, from from what I've seen and 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 in all honesty, like I, I guess my my sort of perspective on this will will always be uh, lacking because ultimately I'm a man on the internet and I there's no way that I'd sort of experience that kind of abuse. But from what I've seen, I feel like there's two types of trolling. Uh, trolling on the internet uh, in on kind of like on kind of like the Somali space one is sort of like the kind of the political stuff um, and one is like I want to say incel like groups of people um, or like incel adjacent groups of people um, and so like the political stuff is like I you know I see people talking about like these sort of these propaganda farms like pumping out like political like uh, comments and tweets and things like that. And and honestly, I don't understand enough about the political system in Somalia to be able to like comment on that. But but what I have seen is like with kind of like increased regularity is like guys that have 19th century and early 20th century photos as their avies of like Somali men with like big afros and stuff. It's almost always like nomad this or something like that at their app and it's almost like always about the topics that they really care about seems to be like marriage between different races one and two like whether or not Somalis are black like those seem to be like their two favorite topics and they appear from nowhere and I've seen this like a lot of times and in fact um, someone that I follow uh, called Alia wrote a really good article about it on Median um, maybe we could sort of post it in the show notes but essentially it's like they they move in groups and i'm inclined to think that a lot some of these guys will be from discord or will be like organizing on another platform but kind of coming on twitter as a group so that's really interesting to consider i think it's so you've broken it down in a way that's really easy to follow along and i would i'm not disinclined to agree disagree with you i think i have seen quite a lot of talk about this idea in particular a lot of attention and violence directed at women when they marry outside of what it, if they marry somebody who is non-Somali um, and this argument around whether or not Somalis have been black. And it's, it's interesting until you said the Avi of, you know, you know, 19th century Somali with an Afro, I started flipping back through my mental archives and thought, yeah, yep. I've definitely seen a couple of those before. And I've definitely I, seen I was dying when you said that. <laughs> I was dying because that's usually the Avi that will come on when I post, oh, look, celebrating my PhD. And of course, there's a picture of me and I do not wear the hijab. And they'll be like, oh, congratulations, doctor. But have you thought about, uh, is, uh, you know, you know, to cover your hair or there's all this rhetoric around the, my appearance and nothing to do with my accomplishments. And it's always the Gilgira. It's like that nomadic Somali man that that is their avi yep it's always the same 
always the same. The impression that I get is that um, a lot of these guys are, are friends or maybe a lot of these accounts are run by the same person or maybe they're like organizing somewhere. Um, but, but the general gist or the, the, the kind of the impression that I get is that like, it's almost like their sexism has found a kind of a political argument or something, right? So it's like, it, it's almost like they, it's like sexism by any other name. So the, 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 the stuff about kind of intermarriage or, or like interracial marriages or stuff, um, or maybe the stuff about like, you know, whether or not Somalis are black or whatnot. The fact that like, the fact that it's always like directed at women, that's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is like, I've often found that like a lot of these, um, a lot of these accounts will attack like non-Somali women like as well um and so it'll it'll just be like pretty bog standard like racist sexist stuff um but i'm not convinced that it's like it's completely accidental that's the first thing and the second thing is i think that a lot of these are using alt-right talking points which kind of leads me to think either they're in the same reading group or maybe you know, they're sharing notes with each other because it, it's pretty consistent. A lot of the discourse that comes out of these groups is like pretty consistent. And even like the papers that they cite, they're all like papers that are cited by all white people. So I'm kind of thinking maybe, maybe it's kind of a, like a men's right vibe, or maybe it's like, it's, it's men rights plus like some other stuff packed in there for fun. I think, and Super, maybe you can comment on this too. I think there's, there's absolutely something to the organization of something like this, I often find myself really just surprised at how how quick it is, how um, almost synchronized it is. People will say something, Somali women will say something, they'll celebrate an achievement, they'll talk about their families, they'll talk about something that they're interested in doing and almost put up a picture and almost immediately there's a whole roster of people um, that will jump in to have, make some kind of comment. I haven't received a lot of these in the last um, particularly in the last couple of years, because I've kind of refrained from putting up any kind of private information uh, about myself, uh, because kind of early on, especially when Afghan studies was happening, especially when I was talking about um, the, the Mandiban group, people would often respond to me and say such horrific things, and I'd end up blocking a whole group of people that I didn't know, um, but constantly it felt that it was kind of relentless and happened regularly. So I was always um, yeah, so I, I, I see I see the organized and the synchron synchronicity of it, I think, now that I've had an opportunity to step back. I will honestly, um, I'm very intentional not to waste my time on that side of the internet, um, <laughs> only because I think that that's what they want. They want the attention. They want scholarship around them. They want um, for us to highlight what it is they're doing and for us to notice it rather than focus on who they're attacking, why they're attacking them and who it benefits. There's no, um, uh, in terms of rhetorical, if you think about the alliance to the, the right wing, um, it's a little terrifying because who knows who's really behind that screen, um, who their friends are, what, what they're doing but it, it benefits a particular politic, even here in the West, that doesn't support the community, in my, in my opinion. Um, and the troll, it's just, they're just trolls. I mean, at the core, they're gonna do what they do. Every community has a lookalike troll. Like there's the same type of troll, whether it's a Somali, whether it's, you know, uh, a white guy in the US, a type of troll and the message isn't that far from, removed from each other. Yep, Subin, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think if there's any kind of message I can put up, I'd like to say to folks is that Somali women take up doing so much incredible work, particularly in our community, not only just as knowledge producers, but, um, you know, taking care and being attentive to the things that are happening around them. And I think the, their success should not be marred with people looking to, to troll. And uh, it's not unique to just the Somali community. There are um, seems to be a movement of um, people, whether we call it the alt-right, whether we call it men's rights in quotations, heavy quote, heavy on the quotations, you know, that seems to be changing the way that our world is working. So um, need to be attentive to it. And also people need to make some decisions around how much energy they want to invest in engaging 
with what could potentially be bots on a system looking to just take away from the successes and achievements that people are putting, putting in place. Real quick, I just want to say I'm, I'm actually really proud of the advancements of the Somali community in digital spaces, whether it be our Edo's sending us uh, memes on WhatsApp or our young Somalis creating TikToks. I think uh, we're pretty prolific and I'm super excited to see where we are in 10 years. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm also just kind of thinking of like the next sort of 10 years. I'm very, very anxious about what that will look like. I, on the one hand, I feel like there's so much pressure to kind of like stay in touch and, and sort of keep up with the language and know what's going on and whatnot for the future generation. Um, but also on the other hand, it's just, I just feel like we're in good hands because of like all the amazing work that young people are doing on the internet of like sharing culture and like expressing themselves. And I think we'll be fine, but, but I'm still feeling a little bit anxious about what the future holds for my little nephews who are going to be, you know, teenagers soon. Thank you, uh, Subhan, and thank you, Abdurrahman. I think um, the digital space in the next decade, the next two years, the next five years, the next decade is going to be um, incredibly different. And we're, we're going to be there to witness all of it and see the differences that it might make for the future generations that come after us. Uh, and fortunately for all of, all of you listening in, that leaves us with all the time that we have today. I want to, again, thank Subhan and Abdurrahman for such a beautiful and rich conversation. For those of you listening in for future podcasts, feel free to email us at Collective at gmail.com. You can tag us on Twitter at underscore Mandek to send us your questions and of course to add things to our advanced studies or Somali excellence portions of our podcast. Looking forward to speaking with you soon.